0: Also, uh, I I heard from Pastor Josh this morning, and I thought uh, you would want to hear this. He says, Pastor Rich, uh, for those of you that are visiting, one of our pastors, Pastor Josh and one of our other men, James, is in Indonesia on a short-term missions trip. And he says, Pastor Rich, happy Easter from Papua. Papua. Uh, James and I are doing very well. We just finished our Easter service with seven combined churches. I preached my 15 minute service, and it turned out to be an hour after it was translated into three different languages. <laughs> Please say hi to our church for us. Peter and Diane send their love, and they're so thankful for the support from Northwest Hills. And so we are very happy to hear from them that they are doing well. Again, uh, we're glad to be together. I am Pastor Rich Hagenbaugh. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us today, you have an outline in that uh, in that uh, program you were handed. And um, the good people at Northwest Hills have uh, uh, stuck with me through my outlines. And the reason I give you an outline is so you can look at it and figure out how long this preacher's going to go yet. So um, we want you to know about that. Uh, U.S. News and World Report used to have a section in their magazine that was called News You Can Use. And that's kind of what I'd like to give you today is some... Some news you can use. Because uh, on Resurrection Sunday, we need to have a piece of news that uh, thrills us, that blesses us. And it's good for us to talk about the resurrection. Uh, Over a few billion people are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. They are scattered all over the world. And you might be interested to know that there's more evidence to the resurrection of Jesus, both biblical evidence and what we refer to as extra-biblical, uh, extra-biblical evidence. There's more evidence to the resurrection of Jesus than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived. There's more evidence to the resurrection of Jesus then that Alexander the Great died young. And so this is kind of a fixed truth. I like the way Charles Coulson puts it. Remember Charles Coulson? You young people don't remember him. But um, he was part of Watergate. He was one of the few that went to jail He accepted the Lord in 1973, right in the middle of the Watergate investigation. He went to jail in 1974 and served a long eight months. And when he got out, he started an organization called Prison Fellowship that has thrived and has had an incredible ministry. But this is what Chuck Colson says about the resurrection, he says, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved that to me. How, you might ask. Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, Stoned, imprisoned, and most of them martyred. They would have they would not have endured all that if the resurrection wasn't true. Watergate embroiled twelve of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep the lie for three weeks. You're telling me twelve men. Kept alive for 40 years, absolutely impossible, says Charles Coulson. And I also like the way that in your outline, I give you the way Timothy Keller puts this. Because the resurrection has to speak to us. Uh, What we do with it becomes very, very important. And Timothy Keller puts it this way. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept everything he said. So if he did raise from the dead, then it doesn't matter uh, whether you like what he said or not. And he's going to speak to that. You have to accept it anyway. Because the resurrection is such a powerful act. He says, if he didn't raise from the dead, then why worry about anything any of what he said. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings. The issue is whether or not he actually did raise from the dead. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. The truth of the resurrection. Uh, The thing that these few billion people around the world are celebrating today. And so the first thing, we have to ask ourselves, why should we care? What does it matter? Uh, what difference does it make? How should it affect us? Well, let's talk about that. And let's talk, first of all, about what it means. Why should the resurrection matter? Or uh, what should the resurrection mean to us? What should it mean to us? I want to give you three things related to that. And you follow along here for a few minutes. Here's the first one. It means that Jesus is who he claimed to be. So the first thing with Keller that we have to agree on is that if the resurrection happened, we have an incredible amount of evidence for that. Then the first thing that it means is that Jesus is who he claimed to be. When you look at John 11:25, Jesus is speaking. He says to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies." In other words, what Jesus is saying is everybody's going to die, and if you believe in me, when you die, you'll live after that. That's the first thing. That's the first claim that he makes. In John fourteen six, he says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice that he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Circle the word the. It's a very important word in this text. He's just not saying I am way, truth, and life. He's saying I am the, meaning I am the only way, meaning I am the truth, the only truth. I am the life, the only way to have eternal life, Jesus is saying. No one comes to the Father but through me. And as a result, Jesus is saying, this is who I claim to be. You know, um, we live in a world that tells us that all roads lead to heaven. Doesn't matter what religion you are a part of, you can get to heaven. I never heard of anything so foolish. That's like saying every road on the planet leads to Corvallis, Oregon. Well, we all know that's not true. We also know that not all roads lead to heaven. And that's why Jesus shows us, tells us how to get to heaven. His claim is that he is the way to heaven. Now, we sang this morning this wonderful song. You said, on the third day, I would rise. And you did. You said, I am coming again. So he made some claims Notice some of the outrageous claims that Jesus made. He said he was God. It's actually the thing that got him crucified. He said he was perfect. He said he was the only way to get to heaven. He said he was the savior of the world. Listen, if Jesus didn't come out of the grave, all of those things are false. And if if he isn't, who he claims to be, then he's the biggest liar the planet has ever known. So you can't have it both ways. It either has to be one way or the other. Either the resurrection happened, he is who he claims to be, or he's a big liar. So that, that's the first thing that it means. It means that Jesus is who he claims to be. Here's the second thing that it means. It means that Jesus has the power he claimed to have. And you see that first of all in John chapter 10 when it says, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, this is on a mountaintop in Galilee. And he's asked the disciples to meet him there. And probably it's more than the 12. And he's, he asked them to meet them there. And he's going to give them his last Commission. That's when he says, I want you to go out and preach the gospel. I want you to go out and make disciples. But he says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is saying, I have the authority to give you this responsibility of evangelizing the world. Also, in John... Uh, chapter 10, verse 18, we read this. And and this is an amazing text. He is going to tell us that he has a right to lay his life down or take it up again. You and I, you know, don't get a lot of control over that. We could walk out of here today, walk out, get hit by a car, and bang, we're gone. Have no control over that. Uh, I could... Before I get off the platform, have a heart attack. I have four stints in my heart. I got to have a heart attack, and bang, I'm gone. I get no control over that. Here's what Jesus said. No one has taken it from me. I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. I have authority to rise out of the grave, he says, This commandment I received from my Father. It's God the Father who gave him that authority. So no force could keep Jesus in the grave. No force could keep Jesus in the tomb. See, he was handed over to the Romans. They crucified him. Then he was put into a tomb. And the Romans said... Uh, let's make sure they don't steal his body and make it look like he rose from the grave. So they put a huge stone in front of it. And they said, well, that might not be enough. So let's put a seal on that stone so that if it even gets nudged a little bit, we'll know. And they said, maybe that's not enough. Let's put a guard in front of it. And with all of that, they couldn't stop the inevitable. Because nothing was going to keep Jesus in the tomb. The reality of it is, he has the power he claimed to have. So... The first meaning of the resurrection is that it means he is who he claimed to be. And secondly, he, it means that he has the power he claimed to have. Here's the third thing. It means that he does what he promises to do. Now, this is extremely important to us in this life because uh, Jesus made promises to us as New Testament believers he promised, for instance, he feeds the birds of the air. Why wouldn't he feed us as well? And as a result, we put our faith in him and we trust him to take care of us. When you look at Mark chapter 10, you read these words. And, and, and let me preface this by saying, the disciples did not want Jesus to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. They didn't want him to go because they knew he would get in trouble if he went to Jerusalem, which is precisely what happened. He wanted to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And, uh, and of course, he knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem. So this is what he says. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. These are the religious leaders in Jerusalem at that time. And they didn't have the power to crucify Jesus. So he says, the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will deliver him over to the Romans, to the Gentiles, because they didn't have the power to crucify him. He knew they, the Romans would be the ones that would have to crucify him. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. Uh, You might want to circle the word scourge. It's a word that is translated uh, to uh, whip um, or to flog. And the Roman method of doing this was brutal. The word that is used is a word which literally means to mutilate, and that's what they did when the Romans scourged uh, a person, the kind of whip that they used and all of that. I don't have time to go into that, um, but that word scourge articulates pretty clearly what happened to Jesus, and then kill him, and then notice, three days later, he will rise again. His promise, three days later, He will rise again. And what happens three days later? The women come to the tomb. You see that in Matthew 28, verse 6. The angel meets them and he says, "Uh, he is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. As a result, the third thing that it means, that the resurrection means, is that Jesus does what he promises to do. That's exciting news. That's news you can use. And then let's take a look at why should the resurrection matter to us? What difference does it make? Why should it matter at all? Why should I get up on Easter Sunday morning? And why should I spend so much time celebrating this thing that is so separated from me? That has never happened in my lifetime. I've never seen anybody come out of the grave. But we celebrate it on Easter Sunday. What difference does it make? Why does it matter? Here's the first thing. Because our past can be forgiven. Because our past can be forgiven. You know, I doubt that there's a single one of us in the room who has not done something in our past that we wouldn't want anybody else to know about. And if you're here, raise your hand, because I want you to come up and do the preaching. Um, See, our past is full of bad stuff, because we're sinners by nature. And uh, God is telling us one of the things that... Uh, makes the resurrection matter is that my past can be forgiven and we see that in Romans 8 1 where the apostle Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus if we believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to forgive us of our sins Then when God looks at me, he looks at me through a film of the blood of Jesus. And what he sees on the other side is perfection. Now, am I perfect? No, a lot of you know that. But there is what we refer to as our position before God. And we have this position of perfection before God because of the blood of Jesus. But then there is our practical, and we are growing all the time. We are becoming more and more sanctified all the time. That's why we say, we don't want to do the things we used to do. We do want to do the things the Bible tells us to, and we are becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus, and more and more sanctified, and we are able to do more and more ministry. But when God looks at us, there's no Condemnation. Because Jesus died for us. Also, in Psalm 103, verse 12, we read, As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. Now, I've spoken to our folks before about this. But if you're visiting, this is great. Notice that he says he puts our sin as far as the east is from the west. See, if you go north... You can arrive, but you can go east and go forever and never arrive. That's the imagery that the Bible gives to us about our sin. It's as far as the east is from the west. And not only that, but in Jeremiah 31, 34, it says, He forgives our iniquity and remembers it no more. I can't believe that. God looks at me and sees a perfect person because of Jesus Christ and he doesn't remember any of my sin. Boy, I wish he'd let me forget. Isn't it true? Some of us, we our sin kind of haunts us sometimes. Uh, God says uh, he doesn't remember it anymore and he puts it, So far away in the extreme that it can't even be reached. That's a beautiful concept, I think. You and I get a chance to start life all over again. Once we get on our knees and say, God, I believe in your son Jesus, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead to forgive my sin, we get up and we get a chance to start All over again. Start life all over again. The same things that I did before, I might do them very differently now that I'm in Christ. So, the first thing that makes it matter is that my past can be forgiven. Here's the second thing because our present problems can be managed. Because our present problems can be managed. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Circle the word strengthens. It comes from the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite, and it means something very powerful. So God gives me a power that enables me To deal with the stuff in my life. What anxieties do you need to have managed in your life? You know, uh, sometimes we go through anxieties. Uh, Sometimes there are issues that we're struggling with. You might be saying, well, uh, uh, my life is out of control right now. I need to get this life into control. You might be saying, I just don't seem to be able to change this or change that. You might be saying, I have this relationship over here that's not in control. Or I have this relationship over here that I want to be better and it's not. Or I don't have any relationships and I need some relationships. What is it that God is wanting to do in you you might say, "My debt is out of control. I need to get that in the control." Sometimes I say, "I need to get my schedule in the control." Uh, but you know what? We can't do it ourselves. We can do it through the power of Jesus. Some things just we all have issues. We all have anxieties. I remember uh, reading about Charlie Shedd. Charlie Shedd is an author. And a conference speaker. And I want to read to you something he said. He said, uh, he tells the story: uh, Before we had children, I used to travel across the country teaching a lecture I called The Ten Commandments of Raising Perfect Kids. He said, Then Martha and I had our first child, and I changed the title of the seminar to 10 hints for parenting. (laughs) After we had our second child, I relabeled the lecture again to a few tentative suggestions (laughs) for fellow strugglers. (laughs) He said when we had our third child, I quit speaking on the subject altogether. (laughs) So we all struggle. We all have stuff. The beauty of it is is that we are able to get through a lot of our stuff knowing Christ going to his word praying about these things having our brothers and sisters in the church praying with us about a lot of these things and as a result we are able to uh, struggle through these issues. So the first reason that it matters is that our past can be forgiven. The second reason that it matters is because our present problems can be managed. Here's the third thing. Because it makes our future secure. Because it makes our future secure. And for that I take you to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And I love this passage It's not usually considered a resurrection passage, but it is a resurrection passage. And it is a passage that tells us about the security of our future in Christ. Notice what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope Circle the word through. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see that? You and I are, you can't be saved only by the death of Christ. You are also saved by the resurrection of Christ. It is part of the gospel. Paul makes it part of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as a result, we... Get born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance. And then he identifies that inheritance with four different words. He says to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. It will never go away. In other words... No matter what anybody does, uh, spiritual or physical, natural or unsupernatural, it can never go away. Imperishable and undefiled, nobody is going to do damage to it. Not you, not me, not the devil. Nobody can do damage to it. And it will not fade away. So it's always going to be there. Reserved, we can be assured. We can be certain of it because it's reserved in heaven for you. That means that our future is secure. You know, we all face a universal problem. The problem is death. We don't like to talk about it a lot, do we? You're gonna, you might have some people over to your house uh, for lunch today. When you sit down to the lunch table, I bet nobody says, Hey, John, let's talk about your death. How's that going to go, John? Uh, well, uh, Harry, uh, let's talk about your death. What day would you like that to happen on? Uh, How would you like that to happen? Do you want to suffer a little bit? Would you rather die of cancer? Uh, Would you rather die in your sleep quietly? Uh, Someone told me between services that they wanted to die quietly in their sleep, like their Uncle George, not like the passengers in his car. See, we don't want to talk about death. But the reality of it is every single one of us in the room faces it. We know it's there. We don't want to face it. We don't want to talk about it. I I was reading about some children. Glenna, age eight, likes to talk about death. She said, when you die, they put you in a box And they bury you in the ground because you don't look so good. Uh, Stephanie, age nine, says, uh, doctors help you so you won't die until you pay their bill. (laughs) I like Marsha, age nine. She says, when you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven. Unless your teacher's there too. I don't know whether there's a silent hope there or not. And Raymond, age 10, says, A good doctor can help you so you won't die. A bad doctor sends you to heaven. So, death is all around us. It's hard for us to escape. And what we do with it, how we cope with it, becomes an important issue. And we should think about preparing for the inevitable. We should think about preparing for something that we know is coming. And that would be the whole idea of knowing we have a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, so that when we die, we will have this inheritance ...that Peter talks about. Uh, See, heaven is a perfect place. Everything in heaven is perfect. It's total love. There's total peace. There's total joy. There's total perfection. There's no sin. There's no mistakes. There's no evil. There's no bad in heaven. There There aren't even any errors in heaven... Everything is perfect. Now the problem is. Is that in order to go to heaven. A perfect place. You also have to be perfect. And there are two ways to make that happen. First one. Is plan A. And that is the performance plan. For going to heaven. That is that I work and work and work. And try to be good. And try to be good. And. When I die, I find out I can't go to heaven anyway. Uh, Because none of us are good enough, can reach God's standard of perfection. But God had a plan B. His plan was to send his son to die on the cross and raise from the dead. And that my belief in that takes some of the perfection of Jesus and puts on me... So that when God looks through his film of the blood of Jesus, he sees me there perfect. So if I died of a heart attack on this platform, I know where I'm going. Ron Dunn is a pastor, and he tells the story about his son his son's birthday and so he wanted to take his son to an amusement park on his birthday and he told him he could take six friends with him six friends with him so ron went and he bought a whole row roll of these tickets every time they'd come to a ride uh ron would peel off seven of those tickets and give them to those boys and they would go ride right on the ride And at a point in time, they came to the Ferris wheel. And uh, he peeled off seven tickets. But there were eight boys there. He had seen the boys talking to this other boy. He had seen them, you know, kind of fellowshipping with this other boy. And Ron looked down at this boy and said, who are you? He said, my name is Johnny. And he said, I'm your son's new friend. And he told me, you would give me a ticket to the ride. Ron peeled one off and handed it to the boy. And he took the ride. See, that's what we get when we enter into this relationship with Jesus. We become his friend. And when we come to that place where we die, we say to God, God, I believe your son died on the cross, rose from the dead to save me from my sins. God says, That's the ticket. You come on in. That's the meaning of the resurrection. And that's news you can use. Let's bow together and pray. Let me say, we're not going to do communion this morning. This is a day to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, not to remember his death. And so we want you to celebrate, really praise him when you sing, and let him speak to your heart this morning. Let's bow together and pray. Father, thank you today. For the resurrection of Jesus. It really is the confirmation. On everything that the pages upon pages. Of your word tells us. Nothing can be in doubt father. Realizing. That dozens of people saw Jesus. Dozens of them. Proclaimed it for years, and still proclaim it. Thank you, Father, today that we have the testimonies of those eyewitnesses. Thank you, Father, that you have an inheritance for us. Thank you for its surety. We never have to worry about that. And we thank you today, Father, that you've given us opportunity to celebrate This resurrection day, we thank you in Jesus' sweet name. Amen.